2: I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: They may call me the prophet, but in my life outside of the business of esports, I have worked on the investment side of the table for the better part of the last two decades. The single fastest growing area of gaming and esports is gambling. It's booming right now. You don't need to be a prophet like me to see that. However, as an investor, I have stayed away from gambling and betting companies because of the reputational risk and often shady nature of the companies involved. That was true until now. I have recently bought stock in a new public company called Esports Entertainment Group, which is focused on on eSports and gambling. The big difference that changed my mind is that eSports Entertainment Group is a public company, NASDAQ listed and fully regulated, focused on eSports betting. The regulatory and audit requirements of a public company are key in my mind to provide the needed transparency for players, bettors and investors. I had an opportunity to host the CEO of eSports Entertainment Group on this podcast a couple of months back and I was very impressed by his vision for the company. We have stayed in touch, and I'm delighted to announce that they have accepted to become an official sponsor of the podcast. If you're a family office, institutional investor, or investor of any kind, esports entertainment group, ticker symbol GMBL, might be one of the best ways to get exposure to the esports betting space and gaming in general. Make sure to check them out at esportsentertainmentgroup.com. Having said that, I need to make sure to state that this is only my opinion. I'm not an investment advisor or selling stock in the company. Please make sure you do your own research and seek advice from a licensed professional if you're looking to invest in the field.
1: Welcome to the Business of Esports podcast, the official podcast of esports. We explore the intersection of business and esports, one of the fastest growing industries in the world and the future of fun. Please welcome your hosts, William the Esports Professor Collis and Paul the Esports Prophet Dawalibi. The Business of Esports podcast begins now.
3: From the keyboard to the boardroom, this is the Business of Esports podcast. I am Paul DeWalibi, and I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, William Collis. For those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome to the official podcast of eSports. What we do here is we cover the most pressing gaming and eSports topics and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this industry. For our regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning in every week. Thank you for telling your friends about the podcast Thank you for going and buying William's book, The Book of Esports. And if you haven't already, get on Amazon right now, go buy it, read it, leave a review, and then come back to the podcast. I give you permission. Go do this now. If you you've can, already bought what, it. Whatever you
4: use, you know, we pocket casts, whatever. You can hit the pause button. You can go do it right now. It's worth it. Trust me. It's a, it's there a you fun go. read.
3: And, and if you've already bought it, guys, and you've read it, or even if you're halfway through it and you're loving it, uh, go leave that review on Amazon. I know William really appreciates it um how you, how you doing William? How's your week going?
4: great you know busy week as always, right You know I feel like we always we always record this for the people who don't know we always record on a Wednesday so it's like right in the middle of the week so <laughs> it's, but it's kind of like the highlight right like it turns yeah. what should be kind of like the I always think of Wednesday as like the checkpoint in the week. do you think of that like you know like the it's like when you get to Wednesday it's like it's like you know it's like in the old Sonic games you know the little like Like, you know, it's like the halfway point, right? (laughs) Um, But this turns that checkpoint into a real highlight. So I'm just thrilled to be recording this every time with you, Paul, it's a blast.
3: Have have you had any chance to play games this week is the question. Or even very think little, about gaming.
4: Very little. I mean, you know, it's funny because I always fit in a little bit of Heroes of the Storm because you can play ARAM in 10 minutes, so I can sneak it in sometimes if like a meeting ends early or something. That That's how I get my gaming fix. Wait, but, does
3: Heroes have an ARAM mode like It does. League? It
4: does have an ARAM mode. Yeah. Here, Did they copy here, it from League? I I mean, I'm guessing. I mean, like, it's, I, don't know. I, I I think most MOBAs have sort of an instant action style mode, right? and you know it's like a lower and the nice part about aram modes in... and we should do a whole podcast on like the theory of aram modes because it's actually a very interesting user like like user psychological group and need state that they hit but it's <laughs> okay. like part of the fun is because you get random heroes right a lot of the pressure to perform goes away because you can always blame your hero or your comp so it's a really clever (laughs) trick so this is why i play aram because obviously i need excuses to make up for my poor skill to be fair the i don't play mobas right yeah
3: but the only league that i've played is aram oh wow it's the only thing i know it's the only thing i've really played and it's because i don't like all the build-up like don't give me the the 20 minutes of like having to you know farm creep and like sounds you know. like you
4: should play heroes of the storm because that was their game design decision it's just straight to the team <laughs> fights and then it's over but yeah anyway all right enough enough me talking about a game that i love and can't stop bringing up so leave that alone <laughs> all right. what about um, you paul did you play any games this week or
3: well you know uh actually today or yesterday apex dropped a new game mode which yep. is interesting yep. i also saw this is not something we're going to talk about on the podcast but i did see that they hit apex hit its highest concurrent Players on Steam, uh, wow. because Origin doesn't publish their numbers, mm. but Steam does, uh, and it's somewhat, I guess, a barometer of how well it's doing on Origin. Also,
4: I yeah, assume. I'd imagine there's a pretty um, tight correlation there.
3: And so, uh, I thought that was interesting, right? Apex, in some ways, has had better staying power than Fortnite. You could maybe look at it this way. I, I don't know. Like, I'm sure Fortnite generates more revenue still, but. Um, they seem to be going in opposite directions, which I mm. think is an interesting thing. It, I think it, this is—you're going to see this this comeback of Apex and interest in Apex over the next few months because of this new three
4: v three game you, mode. You can spearhead Apex. I'll spearhead Heroes, and then we'll both have a like. Man, if if even half of that comes true, Paul, 2022 will be a very special party for us. So we'll be like <laughs> um, I'm still waiting.
3: For my Oxygen Apex team, you know, invite here, William. I'm still waiting yeah, to be yeah. signed as the oldest Apex player in history. Like, you know, we we still need to make this happen. This is what I'm saying.
4: Well, it's not too late, Paul. It's not too late. You know, <laughs> we, we know you have the skills. We've seen them time and time again. <laughs> there
3: you go. Um, look, we do have an amazing guest on the podcast, William. I want to get to I want to get to Jimmy. Um, our our guest today on the podcast is Jimmy Barada. Jimmy entered the esports world in 2017. He began by advising clients within his network on the nuances of the gaming ecosystem. After a series of projects and live events, Jimmy has grown to become an instructor of esports at the University of California, Irvine, as well as a minority shareholder and senior advisor for competitive org Xset. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast.
5: Hey, Paul. Hey, William. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
3: We have three professors of esports, technically now. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah,
5: we got we got the triumvirate. It's like this is Power
4: Rangers. We get to make Megazord now or whatever. <laughs> um,
3: I, Jimmy, for our listeners who maybe don't know much about you or maybe aren't—I know you literally probably know everyone in the industry. I think you're one of the most well-connected people around. But for those of you who don't know you, a little bit about your background. Uh, What you did before you got into gaming why you got into gaming, you know what you're focused on now in the eSports world Just a bit of your story and your background would be great.
5: Sure I mean, that's pretty loaded. So definitely stop me when I start talking too much (laughs) and people start tuning out Uh, But yeah, you know, I've been a lifelong gamer Uh, I have an older brother that taught me, you know to play NES Mario and I was one of those kids that was holding a controller that was disconnected from the console And so, uh, you know, this is, this is very much in my blood, uh, in 2017, I was working as a civil litigation attorney, uh, in Orange County, California. And, uh, you know, when, when something's not your calling or not your path, I think it's easy to, to step away and reevaluate, reevaluate what you want to do. Uh, I was very fortunate that my network, a lot of people within my network were in gaming, and I started reaching out to people I knew and said, hey, do you know anyone that you can connect me with? Do you have any projects you're working on that you can use my perspective, my advice on? And it kind of snowballed from there. Um, I, I can certainly get into, in, into detail on some of the first early stages of that. But in, yeah, yeah uh, so uh, so the very first person to respond was actually a mentor of mine, Larry Jackson. Uh, Larry is the head of content for Apple Music. Um Larry basically had an email sitting in his inbox from Clinton Sparks, uh, formerly the VP of BizDev over at FaZe Clan. FaZe wanted to work with him to get musical talent to do God knows what. Uh, Larry had no idea about the industry, said, you know, you're my esports guy. Let's take the meeting. Let's figure this out. I want to help you get into the space. And if it sounds cool, you know, we can work on it. Uh, that led into about eight months of negotiation and meeting with Phase Clan, as well as with Travis Scott and some other entertainment properties for uh, a lot of projects that ultimately didn't come to fruition. But what did happen was my own network expanded tremendously. Um, obviously, Clinton and Greg Selko, when they left FaZe uh, and, and started Xset, were, were kind enough to call me up and, and want to get me involved. And, and obviously, I do that today. But um, that's kind of how it started. Honestly, was was some very high level negotiation and, and meetings that I didn't anticipate. Like my very first esports meeting, I'm sitting down with the president of a very well known organization, you know, in gaming. Um, similar conversations and early discussions with Gen G uh, and uh, an epic with with the astronomical event uh, that Travis Scott did. Uh, so. I, honestly, any one of these is like its own conversation and 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 lengthy, uh, lengthy, lengthy discussion. But that's kind of the
6: gist of it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is safe. It's a place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down.
2: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: You know, I didn't know part of this, and now I'm a little bit upset that you know the head of of Apple Music, but yet the business of esports podcast does, I don't see it sort of front and center on the Apple Music like app, Apple Podcast app, like where are we? I want to see it just like, like, business of esports then taylor swift then like whatever else yeah like, there's wh- a, why is a, this not certainly happen
4: <laughs> certainly above justin bieber i would say
5: certainly <laughs> well well you know let's let's work on my recurring guest slot, and then we can we can talk <laughs> details <laughs> I it
3: um jimmy one you know one thing that fascinated me about your background especially is you know like being a lawyer is 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 I, I guess there are lawyers in, that work in esports and gaming, but it it was most definitely a career change for you. And I and my general question here, it's not specific to anything, but general question is, like I get asked a lot from people who are maybe a, a like mid career who see the gaming opportunity, are passionate about it, and want to get in. What do you think was sort of your secret in terms of breaking in? To the esports and gaming world as someone who was changing careers essentially. And
4: and not to like just glom onto this question too much, but this is probably the number one thing I think I get asked on LinkedIn too, right, Paul? Like this is so common. So like how do we get in? Like, and it's true. Like you seem to have had, you know, quite a lot of success, but also a relatively recent switch into the industry. Like, please, you know, like general tips, because I guarantee our listeners are like they want to hear. There are a lot of people out there very curious about this.
5: No, I I appreciate it. Um, And and honestly, it was incredibly difficult and uh, a long, long process. Uh, I I do want to say for the listeners, I no longer am an attorney. I am fully in business development, strategy, general advisement in esports, which is where I want to be. Uh, And and at that first meeting with uh, with Greg Selko, he offered me an in-house counsel job for Phase Clan. And while I was waiting at Valet, one of the guys at the meeting came up to me and said, you know, don't don't take that job. It's like you want to be at this table negotiating, making the deals. If you become an in-house lawyer, you're going to be back at the office working on the paper on the paperwork that, we, that we're deciding here today. So, you know, you want to be in biz dev. You want to do something else to keep your seat at the table. And that was honestly some of the best advice I, I've gotten in the last four years um but but for me you know it started off with networking and i can't stress that enough you know especially in this industry where you see it on a scholastic level uh, all these british commonwealth countries that are adding esports to their curriculum and they're seeing shy kids break out of their shells become more confident in school getting higher gpas the same is true in business right uh this is an industry that we're all passionate about everyone plays a game or is involved in you know has a history here in some capacity so to anyone that wants to get in this industry know first and foremost that if this is part of your personality part of of your core it's where you belong and it's easy to have a conversation with anyone else here because more than any other space we can tell when you're when when someone is genuine or not right and and so from a fundamental i think first step into this area it's be yourself know that we're all ourselves as well and that we all love gaming uh the rest is just again hard work and patience um networking getting to know people and, and developing a skill set, you know, the, the one thing I, I had the most polite rejection ever from Gen G when I uh, interviewed over there with them. And, and I know Chris Park and Kent Wakeford very well. They're, they're great. Jordan Sherman, also a good friend. Um, and we
3: had I, Kent on the podcast, by the way, I loved so his,
5: I loved his episode. If you're listening, out.
3: go check, go check yeah. out that episode. Yeah.
5: And, and Kent actually introduced me to my favorite client wizard labs, which I could talk to talk about later, uh, an AI software developer. But, um, you know, when when Genji rejected me, it was pretty much, Jimmy. We what lo- we loved your personality, we loved your experience, but it's all tailored to another industry, and we just don't know what you would do here. We don't want to put you in a position where you'd be set up to fail, and you know that's not fun for for us, for our investors, for you. It was a long, well thought out conversation, and and it was really easy to swallow, honestly. But um. I think people also breaking into this industry have to deal with a lot of rejection and develop a sense of resilience, knowing that it oftentimes it's the opportunity and timing, not not necessarily uh, yourself, right? Because it's easy to take things personally, but sometimes you just need to meet the right client, find the right project, or apply yourself in a different way that you weren't originally thinking. So um, I guess, you know, being genuine, keeping an open mind and you know, just keep keeping at it. Uh, what comes to mind is that meme where there's two layers of people digging a tunnel and one of them turns around and walks away kind of tired. And the other one is digging, right? Where it's like the diamond is he's like right, right about a breakthrough and he doesn't know. So, um, you know, that's true in anything in life, I think, but, uh, but especially here.
4: You know, I, I kind of want to add something to that. Paul, sorry, I don't know if this is the direction we intended to take this podcast. But no. the the thing I'd, I'd add is, you know, networking is so important in this space. And a follow-up, I always, you know, I always tell people, you have to network. And a follow-up question I always get back from people is like, yeah, but like, how? Come on, like I am networking, right? And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got for my career that I try to pass along to people that it feels like apropos to offer now is never leave a conversation with someone in your network without pushing for an introduction to the next conversation and ideally two more conversations, right? Because part of the problem with networking is like nobody, very few people, Particularly if you're starting out in space, you have a Rolodex of like 100 people, right? You might have two or three people you can kind of sort of get to and have a conversation with. And then I think a lot of people have those conversations and sort of that, you know, like you said, persistence is so much of this. Those three conversations or two conversations weren't quite right. They didn't quite get lucky. It kind of stonewalls. And a big secret is if you do your best in a conversation, even if it's not a great fit what you're looking for, or what the other person's looking for, generally people are happy to refer smart, motivated people onto other people because maybe they might help them, right? It makes them look good. And so the best piece of advice I always try to give is look, just like at the end of every conversation. Try to push. Who else should I talk to? Would you mind sending an email? Could you make a referral to me? One to other people, and it really, it really exponentially expands the power of your network because it lets you keep going until you do get lucky—that one conversation that you really needed to hit. You know,
3: William, I, I totally agree, and I did want to take it in this direction because I think we probably don't do enough of this on the podcast. But Jimmy, I was curious also to ask about the the University of California, Irvine sort of experience, and what. You know, what some of, you know, because you touch on a lot of things in the esports space from, you know, team to companies like Wizard and, you know, some of these other projects you've got going on. um, How do you feel about the current state of esports education, right? Like, um, because both William and I, you know, teach, uh, I'm always curious to get the perspective of someone teaching somewhere else in terms of where you think that, piece of the industry is that from a maturity standpoint and, and also just from a, you know, what, what do you, what do you want to leave your students with?
5: Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, just a quick tangent on UCI. I actually, a few years ago was enrolled to take my course, the course that I'm currently uh, teaching at UCI. I Mm -hmm. wanted to network. I wanted to meet other people. They had great seminars, great speakers. Um, and, and, and obviously UCI is a, a brand name. And then I got incredibly busy and was fortunately able to drop the class at like the last ad drop day. And uh, fast forward to two or three years later, and I'm emailing the instructor because we just had Mark Depi on a live event I, I, I co-produced. And uh, I said, hey, you know, I, I would love to guest lecture for, for one of your classes. And they go, well, actually, how would you like to teach it? You know, and that was kind of <laughs> how I got the job. I was like, completely unexpected. And I'm very thankful for the opportunity. I've always wanted to do something like that. Uh, But back to the core of your your question, which is, you know, the current landscape or state of education, you know, I see it in in elementary, in high school type setting to be a lot more successful than it is at higher levels. And I don't know if that's because they have more enthusiasm or a larger user base, but um, or or more opportunity because you do have these kids that are required to go through a, a specific curriculum. So they're forced to funnel through a new program if you add it or not. Um, but I I see it incredibly successful at that level, Uh, a little bit more difficult, the higher you get, which is odd, right? Because the higher you get, typically the pyramid gets pointier and sharper, meaning all those minds want to be there and they're more motivated, more educated, but, um, consistent with uh, a discussion that the two of you had last week with the Esports certification Institute, you know, what's a cash grab, what's there legitimately, What, 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 you know, it's hard to evaluate the different opportunities available for education at higher levels. That's why I like UCI. And I'm sure that's why both of you like teaching as well, because, you know, you were able to vet the program for yourself and, and, and teach something subject matter that you wanted to teach. Um, I'm currently in the, in the same discussion with, uh, with Tiger Woods foundation, Tiger Woods is nonprofit. They want to develop a sort cert- of, uh, an e certification program. But the biggest question, uh, is, what makes it valuable? You know, can we do something where this isn't this isn't just a piece of paper. This has true value to the people that go through it? That's their primary concern, which is wonderful. and and you know I'm kind of helping navigate those waters and and see if we can come up with something that is of value. Um, and fundamental to that, and to finally answer the question, uh, what's valuable in these programs, I think, uh, first and foremost, is I think, just developing a fundamental way of thinking. You know, going into esports, knowing that it's different than other industries that you have to, I mean, that's why I love your guys' podcast, honestly. It, It taught me to think of things from a higher perspective than I was accustomed to. And adding that to my dealings, to my consulting. I mean, I, I told Paul this in confidence, in private. But I just said, you know, I'll, sometimes I just take your opinions, you know, your Williams' opinions from the show. I repackage it, and everyone thinks I'm brilliant. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, but truly, it is about, I think, you know, some people open up the New York Times every morning. In our industry, you need to open up the business of esports newsletter uh, email. I, I read your emails religiously. I watch the show and, and other other sources as well that we won't plug here, but. Um, Jimmy, your checks in the mail. Thank you. Really (laughs) an incredibly warm endorsement. And that's
4: wow, I have a huge smile on my face.
3: Now, now I'm thinking, William, we need to be packaging our takes as NFTs so we can get, at least get a cut <laughs> Paul, of
4: I've, when people repackage I've it. I've right? long like, been saying we should <laughs> NFT everything. It's like, it's the time. Yeah.
3: Which, by the way, the world's first eSports NFT, which we minted here at the Business of eSports, um, because of the increase in the price of Ethereum, it has been reduced in price. So go check it out. Uh, the original uh, world's first eSports NFT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> much, much more reasonably priced now uh, <laughs> only what is it 10
4: ethereum now what, what do we add like twelve? Well, oh 12. very reasonable very reasonable come on
3: from 470
4: oh f- much much more much more this is
3: the discount of the century yeah you By should let the
4: podcast with that <laughs> like why would you not own that nft
3: <laughs> i try i try this it's the stealth plug here william yeah. right you saw how i slipped that in just like that
4: we, um, well, well, speaking, speaking of slipping stuff in, I think we have um, some exciting news topics to, to jump tons into. of news. So tons much of news, news this, this week. week, so much news. Uh,
3: we're not going to get to all of it for sure. So make sure you check out the live stream guys every single week, 8 30 PM Eastern time. Every Wednesday, we cover all the stuff that we just couldn't fit into the podcast this week. There's like a dozen stories. There's no way we're going to get to all of them on the podcast. So go check out the live stream. Uh, if you love the kind of content we make here. Guys, let's start with Riot. Okay, Riot Games made w- made a bunch of waves this week. Um, there were a lot of people talking about this story. Um, I will bring it up here so you can see see the headline here. Riot Games updates its privacy notice to start developing voice comms moderation. Let me just show you the other headline also related. It's the same story, but this one's a bit more telling. Riot Games to record... Valorant voice chats and review for harassment and hate speech. It says there are currently no plans to implement this change in league of legends, according to riot. Um, So basically this is, it's, it's dead simple here. They've changed their privacy policy so that now riot will record everything you say in voice chat and be able to review it to see if you're toxic, basically. And I assume be able to ban people if they are being toxic over voice chat. Do I, I wish I sort of I, I kind of want to create a little video like or call it our tinfoil segment. Like, do any of you believe that Riot here is being totally virtuous and this is all about banning toxic
4: players? I, I 100% do, Paul. I mean, that's that's really okay. what it's <laughs> all. Really, no, 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 quite, quite, quite seriously. I mean, obviously. You know, this This is like such an interesting news story. I mean, this could be our only news story, I think. There's so many implications to tease out of this, both for Riot's slate of games, for how other publishers might behave in the industry, and also, candidly, for how chat software like Discord is going to behave going forward, right? Like, this is a really because again riot is an industry leader this isn't like you know publisher 3592 doing this right this is like (laughs) this is arguably the gold standard this is a lot of implications i definitely do believe toxicity is a piece here i i really do because people behave differently if they think they might be recorded i think that's just human nature right so there's a built-in deterrent effect even the possibility right that it might be monitored or in some way like could have some benefit there I also think, though, that, you know, the reality is it's probably very hard to police comms, you know, chat. You can police in many different ways, but comms is probably harder. This opens up comms for policing in a way that maybe could ban repeated bad actors and improve the state of the community. So there definitely is some goodwill here and goodwill reasons to do it. That being said, there's got to be a lot more. Right. Let's unpack what the lot more is. Let, let's let's drop your facetious question. Right. It's got to want to do more here. What's the more they want to do?
3: Jimmy, I'm curious, what's the more you think they want to well, do, yeah, it, Or do you think they're completely virtuous here and this is all about toxicity? I
5: really appreciate Williams altruism and optimism. I unfortunately <laughs> don't see it through the same lens. I, I see this as a fluff PR piece to cover up something that they were probably already doing and utilizing in other ways. Uh, and obviously this is just a hunch and a feeling, but you, you, you see Amazon, you see iOS with them already recording voice, the tremendous scandal that they've gone through for the last few years people sharing and researching and then them changing where things are located to turn off voice recording features and and every time opening up social media and saying like oh that's the thing i was just talking about with my friend like now i can buy right you know these these voice targeted ads (laughs) um i don't know what riot's intent is for recording all of our voices here but There's already a pretty decent system with the self-reporting of toxic players, hackers. After you get killed, right, you can or you can right click any of these players names, submit this person for hacking or this person for saying something, you know, a racial slur or something else in violation of the game's terms of service. I I honestly think Riot has probably been recording and needed to uh, get in front of it because they've already gone through so much scandal in the last few years. and. I just could buy any job offer I would ever get from Riot, but th- th- this is deeply how I feel. Is is th- th- this <laughs> is um, there? There's way more to it than just oh, we need to protect. You know, to- tox- toxicity has been fundamental to gaming for 15 or more years, right? So I I don't see anyone rooting that out completely, I, I, I see this as there, there's more to it. There, there's something else.
3: So about once a month, I always get a call from my mom, which goes something like this, like, hey, I was talking to your dad about, pick something, Lysol wipes. And then I went on Facebook and it showed me an ad for Lysol wipes, right? And, and, and the reason I bring this up is to your point, Jimmy, our phones are already recording us, right? Amazon Alexa's is already recording us. Why do we care that Riot is now going to record us? I guess is the que- is one of my questions, and the second question is, if we're trying to be constructive here as a group, right, and and we believe that Riot is truly going after toxicity, other than this, how do they how do they root out toxicity in voice comms? Like, what are the other solutions?
4: Yeah, well, look, I mean, so let's let's actually unpack. So ra- rather than like I. I do want to say, I definitely believe Riot thinks toxicity is a problem because it is a problem, right? Like, just to be clear, like, no one can have played Valorant or League of Legends or really any of these MOBA games or not MOBA games, like, you know, sort of top tier competitive esports and not encountered some really negative, problematic stuff. It's sort of, and I definitely think if game publishers could wave a magic wand and get rid of it, They would, right? Like they'd rather not have it in their games. It's a net-net detriment. So again, I definitely think toxicity is a motivation here. I think it's an important thing Riot is doing. I think at the end of the day, they're a free-to-play game though. We have to remember this, they are fundamentally a free-to-play game, right? They monetize through their store, that's one way. They're very good at doing that and giving you champions, but the classic way most free-to-play things monetize is, let's be honest, advertising, right? And, you know, just to really anchor Jimmy's point there, I would be stunned if this didn't in some way connect back to an advertising player and advertising opportunity because that's just the business model that the business is on, right? So that doesn't mean good things can't come out of also looking at another advertising opportunity, but it definitely, you know, um, means that advertising is still a core reason for them to look at this. Um, You know, all of that being said you know i i also well I, I guess actually maybe we should pause there and say i mean can, paul can you like anything else anyone want to react to that before i keep going yeah well like should gamers care should we care as as
3: gamers forget about the the, the business side's important obviously What are a business podcast but like should gamers care that this is happening? I mean, I
5: mean, I personally don't. Like you're saying, you know, I have an Amazon Echo. I My phone, I'm sure, records me and gives me those targeted ads all the time. I don't say stupid things that I think will be recorded. But otherwise, it's kind of amusing <laughs> and just uh, an unfortunate byproduct, I think, of this technological era that we're in. Uh, so, I, you know, the first part, I don't necessarily care that I'm being recorded. I'm sure a lot of people do. And I'm sure there will also be the opportunity to turn off certain targeted ad features like you can in other social media sites. But more importantly, I think, uh, you know, or, or rather your question, what are the other alternatives here to to voice recording to punish these toxic you know, voice calm abusers. Uh, what what came to my mind, and it was a show I just caught wind of, and and let me know if you guys watch this too. I just started watching Mythic Quest on Apple TV Plus, <laughs> and it's really funny. Actually, I was surprised how much I liked it, even though it's 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 like funny in a bad way. Uh, but what they did in this one episode with all of these fascist gamers was they just put them all in the same server with one another, so that their propaganda didn't affect other people you know stick them in one random server they'll harass each other and everyone else will be saved and i thought it was so funny and clever but then it reminded me you know activision did that right they put all the cheaters in the same lobby with each other in the same server with each other anyone suspected of hacking on call of duty is now in the same lobby and it was uh i there is a meme. i love memes because it's like the most culturally relevant reference but there was a meme of thanos uh, you know like i used the stones to destroy the stones and he was like i use the hackers to destroy the hackers <laughs> you know I, I put them all together <laughs> but, but, so.
4: but but it's interesting because you know it's not just this isn't done just for negative behavior it's done for positive behavior too so who who you know? Let's look at World of Warcraft and the role play servers, right? Or the PvP versus PVE servers, right? There's definitely an acknowledgement that you know grouping like types of gamers together has benefits, and I agree, Jim. It's an interesting point. You know, I like the the grouping piece has been around for forever. That's a really exciting solution to see. I I personally think it's probably underemployed by publishers, right? Like, you know, um, you know, and I'm also just tired of their grouping criteria for me being. I'm bad at the game, so I go in, you know, the lowest ranked
0: pool, (laughs) like, yeah,
3: I was gonna say, like, I I just think it would be hilarious to see that play out. Like, all of a sudden, you find yourself in a in a lobby with a bunch of toxic people. You're like, oh no,
4: I'm actually. <laughs> it's toxic. like it's like a Black Mirror episode. It's like all along, it was me too. <laughs> I'm just the same. Uh,
3: it's a it's an interesting solution. I kind of I kind of like it. I I, I do think. The only the other funny part would be like, what if you you get reformed, right? Like what if you find you see the light, you don't want to be toxic anymore? But, but,
4: hold on. I kinda wanna before we go on, I wanna flip the story in question because when I heard this story, I had a thought, which was, should Discord be scared? That was the thought that I had when I saw this story. Discord, uh, Discord Discord users. Discord the company, right? Because think about it. Well, why bear this out with me, right? Let's have let's have this thought process, but right, like Riot has an incredible user base of gamers. They have a massive ability to drive adoption in the space, right? They are now doing more with voice, right? And presumably they might be doing more with voice with a monetization goal in mind. Where does that lead them over time, right? Like where might that lead? And we've seen Riot is willing to do product extensions that have nothing to do with the games. They have their own music label, right? Like, could we come to a world where Riot is a credible Discord competitor, rather than sort of what it is today, which is the ink like the chat solution you go with in Riot games because it's already there and you're too lazy to open something else, you know. And I, I I'm quite being quite serious here, at Paul. It, I see your face. You're like that doesn't. But I really think about it. No, like, yeah, it's a good idea. It's a good thought. I actually didn't think you were going
3: there. Interestingly enough, like I I think it's an interesting thought. I I, I put forward the example of BattleNet chat, right, which should have displaced everything because you know when blizzard was at its peak that they their voice chat solution should have put everything out of business and it didn't um but where i thought you were going i'm sorry not to get to your question here but where i thought you were going was discord should be discord users should be worried because discord might look at this and go wait a second we have 180 million users doing voice chat right at some point we probably want to go public we're probably going to have to show revenue and 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 start monetizing this massive user base. How might we do that? Maybe we record everyone's conversation so we can sell very targeted ads or sell data. Or right and and they may say, well, League of Legends is doing it or not or not League Riot's doing it with Valorant. Like, why can't we record conversations too? And so it may set this precedent where Discord looks at this and goes, "This is perfect. We'll monetize like this."
5: You know the the data I've seen suggests that ads are are definitely the, the the next wave right and that people are moving away from subscription based models. So I think it's a real concern for for discord users and and for anyone else honestly that that uses some type of voice chat heavy platform or community. what what I've learned from you from users because I have way too many I have way, way, way too many friends in the thirteen to seventeen age demographic just by by nature of my uh, the different projects I work on and and who I need. Feedback from these kids will hop into any game server and just use it for a voice chat lobby, and then they will open up a Zoom or do some type of screen share and watch their favorite streamer play on YouTube or Twitch. Uh, But they'll hang out in Fortnite lobbies just for the voice chat feature. Uh, And 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 Paul, uh, I mean, to your point, right? Like that's valuable feedback that that Discord, in anticipation of an IPO or any other company in the same in the same arena, can repurpose and Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna interject.
3: No, but Jimmy, you seem to be agreeing with William that, that if Valorant, and, and and Riot here built that maybe they're tipping their hat here that they're building out a really robust voice chat product, right? Are you worried for Discord? Forget about the Discord users for the moment. Are you worried that Riot may be building a voice chat competitor to Discord? and and this is just part of laying that groundwork.
5: oh i I don't think they're gonna i don't think they're building a competitor i think they're trying to utilize some type of ai to you know to to sell targeted ads um I, i also think and my initial distaste at this article was really just how it was phrased you know i just don't care for the the whole we're doing this to protect you from toxic they're doing it to try and monetize uh everything that they can from their users because that's the biggest question in this space right is we we can grow these massive communities, but how do you how do you bleed them dry? I guess and and so I'm not weird for discord. I'm weird for the discord user personally
4: interesting i I mean i'm I was wondering the question if I were discord, I'd be concerned because I see two arrows fired from bows that lead in the same direction, right like fundamentally, you know what I mean but you all they also have given
3: you a clear a clear like if you're Discord, you're somewhat happy at this announcement because Riot has done something before you have and so you don't look like the bad guy anymore. Right? Riot has created a precedent that you can just follow and and you, if anyone criticizes you you go, "Well, Riot's doing I, I, it, right?" And so you you're I don't know if I agree with that guilty. Paul.
4: I I don't know if I agree with that. I I don't think this notion of Riot giving cover fire to other companies is actually how people would perceive things in the space, right? Like, I think Riot operates in a different way with a different wavelength and a different fan base. And I think, you know, like, I I just, do you think this would give cover fire to Activision Blizzard? I think if they did this, it would be perceived very differently. Like, I think the reality is. So you don't think mm -hmm.
3: if tomorrow Discord came out and said, hey, we're going to start recording every audio call on Discord. And it's to root out toxicity, mm. right? We don't want, we don't want people, you know, we don't want toxic people or, you know, uh, uh, horrible people and, you know, saying horrible things on Discord. And so we're going to record every conversation to root out mm. the toxicity. Mm. Do you think,
4: you don't think that the riot announcement gives them I, some I mean, sure, cover it, sure, fire to do that? i sure it gives them some, but I, again, I think it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm I mean, maybe I'm naive here, but I I tend to think that every like one thing I've really learned about esports is each publisher and each company has its own sort of, I guess, you know, like what I say, community armor score, right? Like it can, it can bear like there's so much goodwill built up in a property, which determines how people perceive the actions of that particular company or business, right? And I think Riot is a company with a lot of goodwill built up behind it that can get away with pushing the envelope in a lot of ways that other companies can too. And I think the well, Riot did it first defense isn't really, it's not how gamers I think think about their products or their product classes. I don't think they compare across publishers or compare Discord to Riot the same way that we might in a business setting. I think a lot of gamers interact with them in isolation. You know, there are plenty of people who play, you know, Battle.net who've never, you know, played Valorant or League of Legends or haven't played it in the last couple of years, right? Like it's a much more isolated experience on the consumer side that makes me think that these the the fact that Riot did something you know first or it's it's not it won't be perceived that way in a in a community wide rollout that's fair
3: guys let's can we stay on the topic of voice chat and move on Uh, we have a few stories with sony but the first a great segue because we just talked about discord and chat and this story um is is all about that and the headline here from bbc is hang on there we go sony's playstation to integrate discord chat for gamers so basically, Sony's going to be integrating Discord into its PlayStation network by 2022. Um, supposedly, Sony has actually invested in Discord, holds a minority stake in the company now, which is interesting. I don't think the numbers, I didn't see any numbers disclosed anywhere. Uh, but the the they state, Then this is a quote, our goal is to bring the Discord and PlayStation experiences closer together on console and mobile starting early next year, allowing friends, groups, and communities to hang out, have fun, and communicate more easily while playing games together. Uh, This story is especially interesting in the context of the discussion we just had, which is, you know, Discord is this platform on its own. Now we're seeing it being used essentially as a, call it not white label, but as a technology that is integrated in in another platform. Um, Could Discord, by doing this and having their own platform, become sort of the de facto standard for voice communication? Like, do do you guys think that this is a major, major win for them being integrated into PlayStation Network?
4: I think it's huge. I mean, it's another platform to acquire users through, right? So it's very big news for Discord. Um, you know, I think on this podcast previous, this sort of feels like it should have been integrated with Microsoft. I think it's also a win for PlayStation. You know what I mean? Like, I think they need to bulk up their online and their community features. And I don't know if adding Discord does it the same way it would have done it for Microsoft, which already had a rich suite of things to bolt it onto and cross leverage with. But I think it's a very good start for Sony in terms of continuing to amp up its sort of online community driven offerings. Um, It's also interesting to me that it's paired with, like you said, the investment that's referenced there, because again, you know, I... Typically, I, I don't think Sony is in the business of holding small minority stakes in lots of different businesses unless they're not thinking about an acquisition down the road, right? Like typically, you put in a little bit of capital to learn, to have a seat at the table with an eye to a much larger strategic investment or a purchase down the road. So this all hints to you know Discord's future as well. And I imagine if you think Microsoft might be a likely buyer and we certainly did, and there were some rumors about it, right? There were rumors about it, right, Paul? Um, you know, if you think Microsoft's likely the buyer, like, yeah, well, yeah it was Microsoft rejected. Yeah, was rejected then by Sony, you know, is the other side of the street, right? Like they're literally the Burger King across from the McDonald's. If somebody, if you're thinking about going there, you might as well check the menu on the other side first to see how much they charge. Right. So, um, I think it's, I think it's very, I think it's win-win but is the takeaway.
3: Here's my, qu- my question, Jimmy, for you, which is your, your discord, right? You're, you're dominating the, the gamer communication space, right? No one's using the in-game for the most part. Like everyone who's playing is using Discord. And so you go to Sony and you say, hey, use Discord as your voice chat because people are going to use us anyways. So you might as well integrate us into your you know existing infrastructure, existing tools. Do you not think Discord could go make this same pitch to Microsoft still? And maybe it's even stronger now because you tell Microsoft, by the way, we have all the Sony players who are going to be using Discord technology to chat, right? We can, we can make it all connect. And so by Discord being the voice communication layer across all platforms, do you think that's their play here or this is just a one-off So that's deal? the
5: hardest part for me to grasp here is the rejection of Microsoft within this immediate investment in partnership with Sony because I saw this as the future of cross-platform gaming. You know, me as a PC gamer, whenever I play with console gamers on PlayStation or Xbox, the hardest part for us is voice chat. Not, you know, not none of these console gamers can can just load up Discord unless they want to do it maybe on their phone and then they have two different headsets. It's a huge headache. So we end up going with uh, a lot of times we use Xbox chat because uh, there's an app for it, you know, on PC or we do in-game chat. And when I read this story, I thought, well, this is great because this solves a huge problem. The the, the native voice chat platforms on consoles is shaky at best even the xbox one is is, i i mean frankly it's terrible it drops out all the time it lags uh the interface is sloppy so i love this but to, to announce this right after rejecting Microsoft, how do you go back to Microsoft and say, hey, we use you to gas up our deal with Sony to get a bunch of great press. <laughs> and, you know, you're still going to have to work with us because now we're too big to fail and, and unavoidable. I, I, it's kind of again, that's where I'm scratching my head is where do you go next from here? Because I, I love I, I love the interconnectivity and in, in, in just bridging this cross platform gap. But to go back now to Microsoft in six months or however long it is, um, how do you think they're going to receive that phone call, right, or, or that first meeting? I don't know, not well.
3: Maybe not well. You're right. Um, I, I think this confirms, though, that Discord is going to is going to go public. This, there's no buyer, I think, for Discord at this point. The the two the two big potential buyers, in some ways, in some cases, I think, are, are off the table. But but uh, William, you you know how do you feel about discord as a destination as a standalone platform versus discord as a communication layer that gets embedded everywhere do you have a feeling on sort of I mean, one path versus
4: another it's tricky it, it's interesting to me because you would think that discord would rather be a true platform rather than just a bolt-on to existing you know what i mean like you would think that Discord recognizes the value of building an independent destination, right? That's how you maximize the monetization potential from your users. Um, you know, just being, but that being said, you know, I wonder if for them, I, I still get the sense that, and this is maybe unfair, I don't know if somebody else can, hear it, but like, I was gonna say, they don't really know how to monetize, so they're still on the challenge of grow users, right? this definitely checks the grow users box because now you can get all the playstation users this is really significant and so if you take that strategic perspective for the company it's let's just get every gamer in the sun you know somehow in our reach and then we'll figure out how to make 10 cents per user or whatever it's going to be this isn't that bad of a move but i i do wonder if long term it doesn't curtail some of their potential because you know really they should, if they're, if they're building to maximize their market value, they should be a hub rather than just a tool that's injected into somebody else's hub.
3: So can I conclude that you think then this is probably more of a one-off deal? That it doesn't make sense for them to pursue the, hey, we want to be the integrated communication layer for everybody. And therefore, this is just a one-off maybe to spike Microsoft, maybe because it was part of the deal with Sony's investment. Uh, you know, that this is a, a one-off thing and we probably won't see them doing five more deals like
4: this you know i i I think the reality is a deal like this will beget more deals like this right so whether or not it was intended as a strategic decision or just a one-off the fact is the door is open other people are going to be knocking on discord to ask to do something similar they're going to do more similar things so it's it's a pandora's box in that sense
5: so I don't see the problem. You know, I, I really don't see the problem with it, honestly, bolting into other platforms. Um, the, the whole goal here is to grow a community as fast as you can to grow the largest, strongest community uh, and point it in whatever direction through recording their voices or otherwise, whatever direction, is, you know, will likely yield some form of monetization. And I think by strapping on a PlayStation and then maybe Nintendo or Microsoft or, or, or Steam or whoever it is down the line. Uh, All Discord's doing is getting more and more users, right? And more people familiar with their brand. I was not a Discord user three, four years ago before I got in this space. And now I prefer it to iChat or iMessage, right? I would rather have a Discord call than any other type of call. I would rather have a Discord direct message or a group thread than any other platform. And, you know, I'm I'm a PC user, not a console gamer here. And I, I know we're going back to PlayStation, but... As Discord gains more partners, they convert more users. More people become, you know, familiar with their brand and and their tech and appreciate it for how good it truly is. And uh, I think that's how they say how they win in this space. How they IPO is just growing a massive community and then figuring out later what to do with it. And the fact that they can get X million PlayStation users by this one partnership. Because, uh, you, know, you know, that's how they're that's how they're reporting it, I think, to their investors and shareholders. Right. They're not saying these are how many installs we have or monthly active users on our platform. It's rather here's the total Discord fan base. Here's the total PlayStation. We'll lump them together. And that's our new number. Right. It, it's it's inflating their their value. But it's really not all that truthful or sorry, on all, all that untruthful.
3: No. and And it's like to me, this is classic like pre IPO playbook also. Right. It's a big sort of big brand kind of deal. The, it's going to push big growth numbers to your point, Jimmy, right? Like I, the, to me, this feels a lot like we're gunning for that $30 billion IPO, that $30 billion public valuation. And, and this is one of the ways we get there. Um, it makes me even more confident, by the way, in my $30 billion uh, valuation prediction <laughs> on Discord. Um, guys, let's, let's stay on the Sony theme here. Because there's there's more Sony news this week, and and this one was interesting. This one, the headline was Sony reportedly preventing Resident Evil Village from being on Xbox Game Pass. Um, so this is not like one of the most anticipated titles of the year. It's a you know it's
4: it's a title that
3: Sony's putting out,
4: but, but that's uh, not true. Resident Evil is a pretty big franchise. I, I think it's safe to say this is one of the largest releases at least this month this one, the okay quarter, sure right sure yeah um
3: but according to leaked documents the deal between sony uh and 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 xbox is that um microsoft is prevented is prohibited from distributing uh the game through xbox game pass now on this podcast we've been uh, huge fans of Xbox Game Pass, I think William is fair to say, right? Uh, and how successful... I, I think
4: it's the, one of the major drums we beat is that Game Pass is a huge force in the industry and it's only going to grow more in importance and reach. And so this, this to me, I
3: think, is the first time I think publicly I've seen a story like this where a publisher, in this case Sony, is actively saying, look, Microsoft, we're willing to have our game on Xbox... But you cannot put it on Xbox Game Pass. Is this is this a a red flag for Game Pass, William? I don't this know how is, you're seeing this. This
4: is the power of Game Pass, Paul. This is the power of Game Pass. This is how dangerous it is in the industry as a force for control for Microsoft and because Sony is willing to let it go to the, the, what was previously the ultimate taboo, like cross system. Now they're happy to let the game go to an Xbox, so Xbox users can buy it. But they are not willing to let it be part of game pass right they're they're essentially saying that to some extent they view game pass as more of a competitive threat than the xbox console or at least an xbox console launch right and the reason for that is pretty simple why do they not want it on game pass let's just be explicit here it's because they don't want resident evil to drive game pass adoption they don't want people who Sony's put a lot of money. It's this Resident Evil 7 right the village, right? Put a lot of money in developing it. This is a eight. you know a, yeah, 8. What I can't keep track. Whatever yes. Resident Evil. <laughs> Resident Evil everything everything past 3 for me. The franchise didn't No, that's not true. Everything past 4. 4 was what the franchise stop. Um but um yeah, but like look, they because their fear is that people want this game. You know, I do think this is a game with a strong niche audience. If you are a Resident Evil fan, you have been a fan of it for a long time. Right. It is one of the few sort of marquee action-y survival horror games that scratches that itch. It's basically this in Silent Hill. And they don't want a game that they've worked hard developing to be driving the adoption of a major service for their competitor. Right. That they are scared is actually, as I said earlier, more threatening to them in terms of this lock-in subscription model than the actual Xbox platform. So they're fine if you buy an Xbox to play this game, but they do not want it to be that hook that gets you on the subscription Game Pass model. Jimmy, you had some thoughts on this.
5: Uh, I just keep nodding my head. I wholeheartedly agree with William. I, I, I want to add, you know, that something that's interesting to me, and we'll get to in the next story as well. I'm sure, you know, on, on one hand, you have Sony doing these deals that you think enhance cross-platform play. And then here you wonder, well, why why are they preventing, you know, uh, use, use of this title on Xbox? And, and Paul, to your point, you, you know, you can still buy it on the Microsoft Store, right? You just can't use it on Game Pass. And William just hit it on its head, right? It's This is Microsoft's most innovative initiative for the past few years and certainly the next several. Um, I think we all agree it's it's... You know, we're keeping a close eye on this. I know I am. I'm excited to see where it goes and, and 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 what kind of users it it grows and more importantly, also what games it gets, because currently it's not enough for me personally. But um, but the fact that Sony is okaying certain cross-platform things and then pulling back in other areas, I, I think they're scared of Game Pass. Um, not not a lot more, honestly, to add, I think William said it pretty well.
0: Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code BUCKEY and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line prop and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign
1: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Let me just, you know, there's one thing neither of you guys mentioned, which is I get that Sony's scared that Microsoft's Game Pass product could be too successful, right? They don't want to encourage the growth of Game Pass. But it could just be all, I think one of the things factored in here is maybe they just believe long-term the economics of being part of Game Pass are worse for them than selling more boxed copies, right? In the same way that the music went through the same thing. The all-you-can-eat, you know, Spotify, $15 a month service, I think has resulted more in a, in a decline in artist revenue, not an increase in artist revenue, right? Like artists made more money in the nineties selling lots of CDs. Now I agree that game Pass's success and other all you can eat services like this are probably inevitable, but do you not think that Sony just looked at this and said, wait a second, like why would we cannibalize box copy sales by giving this away, giving it away? Obviously they're getting paid for everything that gets downloaded on game pass, but maybe not as much. Why, why distribute this through Game Pass and cannibalize our own sales? Do you, not, do you guys not think that maybe that factors in? And if that is the reality, that Game Pass could end up getting quite a bit of pushback from publishers long term, right? As, as Game Pass gets bigger and bigger and more and more successful, you may get publishers saying, wait a second, like, uh, now, now I'm forced to be here or no one will, pay, will buy my, or play my game.
5: You know, I, I would sooner I think anyone that doesn't go the free to play route or a cheaper subscription route is kind of missing the boat here on what gaming has opened up for the world. I agree with you, obviously, you know, m- musicians in the 90s compared to today, but opening up or lowering, lowering the the barrier, the point of entry, right? That, that paywall feature expanded gaming into tens of tens, if not hundreds of millions more households of middle Americans that couldn't afford a $60 disc in hand. And I don't think Sony doesn't get that. I, I would sooner believe that Sony has their own Game Pass competitor that they're in the works with and that they're protecting this from to use there than to think that they just want to make, a, you know, a, a couple $60 sales here and there. So you, don't, um, you so, don't think
3: we will ever see pushback from publishers en masse, like in, in quantity, a- against Game Pass type services? You,
4: you might, but it's different than what's happening here. Right, I I think this is really a war of strategies to, there's a transition in the industry from consoles as the walled garden you try to lock people in to subscription services. That's what's really happening here. And I think that it's most apparent, like Sony is firing a volley in the early stages of that war. There could be another war about subscription services eating the revenues and pricing power away from publishers. And we might see that war too. It's certainly a possibility because subscription services are appealing to consumers because they get the cost out, right? Like you get more games for less money. It has to come from somewhere. Spoiler yeah. alert, it's coming from the people who make the games, right? Um, I mean, that's simplification. You make it up with volume and everything, but you know, you sort of see my point, right? So we may see that war coming, but I, I, don't, I think that's a later stage war that takes place. And I think the war now is around which subscription platforms lock in consumers. And Microsoft has a huge lead, is way far ahead, has a really awesome offering. I mean, Game Pass is just awesome what's on it. It, it It's incredible and it gets better every day with like the additions of Bethesda and everything now. It's just, this is a competitor seeing another competitor with a product that is too strong in market and saying, I'm not gonna let my hard work accelerate your traction here, plain and simple.
3: Guys, before we move on to the last Sony story, we've got a third Sony story. I just, uh, one quick word. Guys, um, the single fastest growing area of gaming and eSports is gambling. It's booming right now. You don't need to be a prophet like me to see that. Um, You you know, because I've talked about it on the podcast, I've stayed away from the space because of the reputational risk, the shady nature of a lot of the companies involved. That was true until now. I bought into a stock in a company called eSports Entertainment Group focused on eSports and gambling. They're NASDAQ listed. They're fully regulated. They're focused on eSports betting. And, uh, you know, we've had the CEO on the podcast. We've had some of the management on the podcast. Very impressed by the vision of the company. If you're a family office, an institutional investor, an investor of any kind, go check out eSports Entertainment Group, ticker symbol GMBL. Uh, It might be one of the best ways to get exposure to the eSports betting space and gaming in general. Check them out at eSportsEntertainmentGroup.com. Having said that, just making clear that this is just my opinion. I'm not an investment advisor. I'm not selling stock in the company. Do your own research. Seek advice from a licensed professional if you're looking to invest in the field. Um, Guys, one last story, Sony story here. And this one, one I almost didn't believe it when I read it. (laughs) What, What Sony is getting away with here. And this was only discovered, if you want to call it that, because of the Apple Epic lawsuit. This Apple Epic lawsuit has been a treasure trove of data and like confid previously confidential information, and and this is one of these stories that uh, again you you sort of shake your head because it, it it is somewhat hard to believe, um, but the the headline here is Sony makes Epic Games pay for Fortnite crossplay, and and I will just read one um, one simple quote here that sort of sums it up, which is. Um, Sony has a policy that requires if the ratio of payments across platforms for a given PlayStation user gets out of sync with the playtime, then we have to pay them a commission on other platform revenue, Sweeney said. So if someone were primarily playing on PlayStation, but paying, in other words, buying items on the iPhone, they would, they, uh, like Epic, would need to compensate Sony, (laughs) which I didn't even know this happened. I didn't even know this was possible. Um, I find it fascinating that this is part of the deal that Sony had with Epic for Fortnite. Are you guys just as blown away by this revelation that Sony commanded so much control here that, that if you play on PlayStation, it doesn't matter where you buy skins or any cosmetics, Sony is still going to get their cut from Epic. William are you, you Yeah, you it's in
4: pretty incredible. Um, you know, there's not many other businesses I think of that work this way, by the way, right? We're like, you it know, it would be awesome. Gen- yeah. Yeah, it's generally it's like where you buy it is, you know, this is um it's well, the pretty example, incredible. The example
3: mm-hmm. I have is I used to go into when bookstores were a thing. I used to go into bookstores because it was awesome, right? You get to see the books, touch them, feel them, browse, right? Great for browsing. But then all I would go home and then buy them on Amazon. <laughs> You're the reason
4: we don't have bookstores anymore. In this
3: world, Amazon would have to pay a cut to the bookstore. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. It's pretty incredible. Um, I mean, it it makes me think of two things. One is are relationships like this industry standard, right? Like, is there a similar relationship with Xbox that we don't know about? Right. For cosplay, because it seems crazy to me that it would exist for Sony and then Microsoft wouldn't have leverage to get similar relationship or at least wouldn't know about it and try for it. So that's one thought that's out there. Um, <laughs> the other thought here is it shows the power the platform still have in extracting value, right? Like I bet this was not a great, cause I guarantee you this doesn't let Epic go to the other platform and be like, give us some money back, we gotta give it to Sony. This is just Epic paying more money, right? Like. This is, a, in in essence, a tax being exerted by the platform holder here. And it's a pretty, you know, candidly cumbersome tax. And I think it's very, very interesting that they were able to get it across. And it highlights their power as a market maker here. So,
3: Jimmy, what's your take on this? In some ways, like, I don't want to get too deep into the Apple Epic lawsuit here. I, you know, we may touch on it on the live stream. But it's one of these things where, you know, Fortnite and Epic have continuously tried to downplay sort of the power of the distribution platforms but in some ways like they're 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 bowing down to it here right like it's it's compensating the platforms where the game is played um versus where stuff is bought I'm just curious how you see the power dynamics here between Epic Sony and Epic and everyone else pretty much at this point
5: you know, two or three years ago, when I shamefully was a huge Fortnite gamer and loved playing with uh, with my clanmates, uh, I would sing Epic's praises because I couldn't believe they brought together Sony and Microsoft and, you know, all these worlds that were so far apart, right? It was like a dream come true for gamers, for cross-platform play, for me to have all these friends on PlayStation that I never got to play with back when I was an Xbox gamer and then became a PC gamer uh, more recently. Um now I look at this and you got to admire, I think, the deal makers and, and decision makers over at Sony, because this speaks to their corporate culture, their hesitation for cross-platform play, and then their ability to negotiate and work that into the deal where they made it worth worth it for them on their end. And I would be surprised if Nintendo or Microsoft have this worked into their deals, just, well, maybe Nintendo, but Microsoft never had the same hesitation, I think. They wanted to just open up, right, and, and connect everybody. Um but I, I would be surprised if they didn't renegotiate or, or you know, next phase, right? It's like, hey, wait a minute. What about this rev share thing that you guys are doing? We, we want in on that net now. It, it's incredibly clever. Um, but yeah, I went from really valuing Epic's finesse and deal-making ability to seeing from this article that that was actually Sony all along. Epic's just footing the bill.
3: Is it safe to conclude then that cross-play really can only happen if dollars are changing hands like none of it is altruistic in any way right that that essentially the 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 developers of the games need to pay the platforms to to
5: open up It it seems to be um it certainly looks that way or you know i'd like to be an optimist i'd like to think that the gaming culture is that strong and we all want to play together and you know have fun with one another but uh, but this was a sad revelation. <laughs>
3: <laughs> William, <laughs> William, do we see a precedent here? Will we see more of these, you think, deals where um, you're muted? Deals where essentially, you know, the, the game developer is going to need to pony up dollars to encourage cross play.
4: I, I mean, I sort of hope not because it sort of feels like at some point cross play should just be. Like it's like it's like having you know a two-player functionality in games, right? Or it's like having—it's I mean, a bad example. Um, it's like uh, it's like having uh, it's like having an online mode, right? Just feels like a thing a game should have in this day and age. You know what I mean? Like, but the reality is, no. I mean, there's there's a reason why these platforms exist in wall off. It's to extract additional value, you know, and to create an exclusive, you know, barrier. And if now that this is known as a way you can extract – another way you can extract value from your platform, everyone is going to ask for it. I I think this will be – and I think, again, it's a little unfortunate because you can maybe pair this with the Game Pass discussion we had earlier. A theme here is it's getting harder to be a publisher, guys. (laughs) This is getting tough here. You have a revenue squeeze on the subscription model. You now sort of need cross-platform to keep all your users, you know, because to get your users to be happy. But now you're going to have to pay for that more, too. Like, this is this is going to be a weird place in the market to be right now. And I definitely think, ironically, you're seeing power dynamics shifting a little away from publishers. And I I do think there'll be a backswing. I think there's tools and techniques publishers can have to fight back. But it is, it's interesting to read the two stories together and say, yeah, it's probably a little harder to be a game developer now than it was a few years ago because the forces are moving to chip you away at the top and bottom of your balance sheet.
3: Yeah, but most of them are still reporting record revenues and things like that. So it's not, it's not like... Well, yeah, it's exactly. All, I mean, you know, it, take like,
4: it take it with a grain of salt, right? But it's, it's, it, it's a rising tide, just the popularity of gaming exploding, obfuscating, I think, a little bit of a bigger problem, which is the game developers themselves have had a period of, I think, impunity and control in terms of owning the underlying game properties. And now you're seeing other people in terms of the platform holders and other people who finding additional ways to extract power from that ecosystem. So, you know, the the days of single publisher dominance, I'm not saying they're over by any sense, but there's definitely a weakness in the armor that this is exposing.
3: And, and this is a good thing, though, in some ways, right? Like, I think we spent a lot of, especially in the early days of the podcast, talking about how publishers had maybe too much power, wielded too much power, no?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you read my book, The Book of Esports, one of the theories is sort of the consolidation of the landscape around the publishers and, you know, the ability of a consolidated landscape to push back and extract value from publishers.
5: And this is part of what's happening here.
3: Um, On that note, uh, sorry, Jimmy, you had a
2: thought?
5: I just got to jump in and let William yeah. know. I just, I apologize. I just rated it today. I realized I was going to come on the show. I couldn't be here without well, I, I have I, your book. I had to rate it. I did I, it. Five I, stars.
4: I, I appreciate you rating, Jimmy, but there's actually a six star option that you could can- <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Jimmy, you did my segue for me because I was going to say, you know, speaking of the book of esports, if you've bought it and you've read it or you're halfway through it, go leave a review. Five star rating and review for William on Amazon. Uh, that wraps up this week's podcast. Jimmy. How can people find you if you want to be found?
5: <laughs> uh, they can search for me. Uh, Jimmy Barada on LinkedIn is usually a safe bet or email Jimmy at FTEmpire.com.
3: Uh, follow you on socials, anything like that? No?
5: Um. Yeah, why not? You know, <laughs> at JimboDanks is my handle. Um, I love it. If you want some mediocre Call of Duty at gameplay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sign um, Sign me up. That's... <laughs> way to sell it way to sell it Uh, Jimmy thank you so much you were awesome William thank you as always guys uh make sure if you're listening tell your friends about the podcast go leave Williams a review on Williams book on Amazon the book of esports definitely go do that I know so many of you have read it and not left a review uh and make sure to check out every single week guys after we do the podcast we host a live stream it's an after show we cover all the stuff that didn't make it into the podcast. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We get to interact with you guys. Um, it's uh, it's also a bit more casual, so it's a bit more loose. And we do some fun, more lighthearted stories also. So go check that out every Wednesday evening, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can basically watch it anywhere. LinkedIn Live, YouTube, uh, anywhere you follow us. Twitter, uh, it gets broadcast everywhere. And uh, make sure you follow us on all those socials. Business of Esports on YouTube, Busy Esports, pretty much everywhere else. TikTok, Instagram twitter uh, @busy sports and uh, as always we will see you guys next week
1: thanks for listening to the business of esports podcast check us out at thebusinessofesports.com and on twitter at bizesports
6: this show is sponsored by better help it's a simple truth no matter who you are mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them